Good afternoon. It's good to see you all. Good to see you all after a long summer. I never thought I'd be stood in a Baptist church preaching in shorts. But here we go. Here I am in shorts preaching and uh, don't tell the owners of the building. Um, Right. Uh, We are in Psalm 110. If you would turn there in your Bibles to there. And as Neil has already said, uh, we are in the end of our series, which is called Hope on Every Page. And we believe as Christians that the Bible is a book of hope and that we find Jesus on every single page. And that's what we find in Psalm 110. So we're going to read that. Let me give you a bit of context before uh, we dive into this passage. It's written by David. Uh, David was the second king of Israel after Saul. Uh, He was God's chosen king. He was the fellow, if you know your stories, who defeated Goliath. Uh, with a slingshot, picked up five stones, only needed one and took him down with the power of the Lord behind him. And he, he was an emotional character. He really was, this David. Uh, and he writes uh, these songs, these psalms uh, to bring glory to God. He writes these songs to put his emotions down on paper and talk about his relationship with God. But as Neil said before, This is a prophecy. And what's a prophecy? A prophecy is a prediction or a sure prediction of the future that was given to David. It's a prophecy looking into the future. And the focus in this passage is on a king and on a priest. On a king and on a priest. So let me read uh, Psalm chapter 110. And then I will pray. And then we'll crack on with the passage. Sit at my right hand, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn And will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings. On the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment. Among the nations. Filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs. Over the wide earth. And he will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore. He will lift up his head. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this opportunity this afternoon to open your word and look at your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us in salvation. And I just pray that if someone doesn't know you here today, Lord, that they would encounter the Lord Jesus today. For those of us who know you, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, I don't know whether you're into literature Whether you're into writing styles, you all have books in your hands, so hopefully that's a good sign. Um, And the writing styles that writers employ to draw out key themes and the crux of their message to the reader. And to be honest, I'm not really into that as well, but I'm starting an analogy with it. But this passage uh, made me do a bit of thought behind this uh, to look into the literacy and the power uh, that it has to stir the reader's thoughts and imaginations and emotions. My favourite Uh, um, uh, writer of literature is J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm pretty sure I've used him plenty of times in sermons before and I'm going to do it again because my brother-in-law is here and my wife is there and they absolutely love Tolkien so I'm going to do it again. 
See, in his famous writing turned film, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Tolkien speaks of a great battle uh, at a fortress in the mountains. Joe? Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep. Yeah, well done, Mark. Thank you. Got that before you. Helm's Deep. Uh, and he writes of the fear that is wrought on the faces of those, the small army of men hiding behind the defences as a vast army of orcs, 10,000 strong, descends on the fortress. All hope seems to be lost for men. But at dawn, as the siege on Helm's Deep comes into its final stages, a figure of hope appears on the horizon atop a hill. And this is how Tolkien writes it. A rider clad in white, shining in the rising sun. Who was it, Mark? Gandalf. That's right. Gandalf the White turns the tide of the battle. And the men in the fortress are filled with hope and the forces of, victory, uh, forces of good find victory. See, Tolkien uses this battle at Helm's Deep as the turning point in his three books. Gandalf causes a momentum shift in the middle of the second book where good surges back and wins the day. Where there was only impending doom, Gandalf brings hope. Tolkien uses Gandalf at the centre of his book, his trilogy, to bring hope to the reader for the rest of the story. See, King David knew how to write as well. And in Psalm 110, David uses quite a similar writing technique as Tolkien to stir the reader's emotions. And as we read there, it's a real roller coaster of emotions that David sweeps us through. And Hebrew writers use this structure quite often. It was called a chiastic structure. You don't have to remember that. Don't worry about it. But what's the focus of a chiastic structure? It's at the centre of the passage, the crux of the passage, sits right in the middle. It's a very common literacy style that Hebrew writers would use. And in Psalm 110, we see impending doom at the beginning, hope at the centre of the passage, the crux of the passage. And then even in the rest of the passage, in everything else that we read, that we're going to see, David fixes the central focus of this passage for the reader in the very centre of the passage. What does it say in verse four, if you look? The forever high priest. He's the centre of the passage. So let's split this passage into three, as David does. If you're making notes, if you enjoy your three-point sermons, here they come. Number one, the impending judgment comes. Number two, the sure priest saves. Number three, the saved soul hopes. Number one, the impending judgment comes. If we look at verse one and two, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. See, who's David talking about in this psalm? Who is the Lord, full capitals, and the Lord, capital L, lowercase? Who is that? The Lord is God, Yahweh in Hebrew. The Lord, capital L, lowercase, is the prophetic looking forward to God's son, Jesus Christ. See, this psalm is, a prophet, is prophetic of the authority that the Lord, capital letters, that God will give to his son, Jesus Christ, at the end of time. See, the Lord God is promising the son, Jesus, judgment and victory over his enemies. The Lord God promises Jesus Christ on the day of judgment three things concerning those who are opposed to him. 
If you look at the passage, he promises to make his enemies his footstool. His enemies will be placed in a place of humiliation. I went upstairs yesterday because we had uh, these two over. um, And I got myself a footstool because there was less place. Now, in the past, I'm pretty sure kings would have asked their enemies uh, as a place of humiliation to put their foot on top of them. They would have been in a place of humiliation, their footstool. It's symbolic of Jesus at the end of time, his enemies being in a place of humiliation. The second one, a scepter which was a royal symbol, is a royal symbol of sovereignty and power. Jesus will be a king and he will have total control and power. Jesus will have a scepter. And then he will rule in the midst of his enemies. What does that mean? There will be nowhere that the enemies of Jesus Christ on that final day of judgment, there will be nowhere where his enemies can go outside of his rule says later on in the bible that people will cry out for the mountains to fall upon them to flee from the power and the sovereignty of the judge jesus christ the coming king it will be a time of terror for those who are outside of jesus and who are those outside of jesus who are his enemies that this prophetic passage that david writes speaks of it's those in opposition to king jesus that awaits all those who remain enemies of the Son, Jesus Christ. Total humiliation, all earthly power stripped away, and nowhere to hide. Quite a powerful image that David portrays. This is the place of every single person outside of a relationship with God. There is no hope outside of Christ, and no one can stand before him. There is only judgment. There is only death and destruction for anybody who is against the son of God, Jesus. For anyone who hasn't accepted him as their right and fair king. He is a righteous and good king and a good judge. And one day Jesus will execute the father's will on the day of judgment. And he is coming. I have to ask that question to you this afternoon. Is that you? Are you outside of the kingship and the family of Jesus Christ? Are you an enemy of Christ and are you opposed to him? See, I don't know the souls of each person who is sat here, but there is a day that's coming, the impending judgment day of the right and fair judge, Jesus Christ. And he will come in power and he will come with his scepter and he will put his enemies under his footstool and there will be no place to hide. And I have to ask you that question. Are you opposed to Christ, the coming king of judgment? The impending judgment comes. Uh, Then the writer of the psalm, David, he then, as we were talking about that literary style, he revives the spirit of the reader with verses three and four. He uses this chiastic structure to show its power as David reveals to us the hope of the passage He doesn't leave us hopeless because if we left it at that, if David stopped his prophecy there, we would all be hopeless. But he doesn't. He doesn't leave us hopeless. He points us to the remedy, the source of salvation from this impending judgment. So the second point, the sure priest saves. The sure priest saves, verses three and four. Your people will offer themselves freely 
on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, verse three reveals to us that there are those who will be acceptable in the Lord's sight on that final day. They won't be enemies of the Lord. They will be acceptable in a holy God's sight. A holy God accepting people to himself. What does the passage say? Those who wear holy garments. We went to a thrift store yesterday called Resurrection. And in there, there were lots of holy garments because there were lots of holes in them. Uh, but these are different holy garments. I had to get that in there. They call resurrection as well. It fits in perfectly. Um, verse three also speaks of new life. It talks about womb of the morning, dew on the grass, youth. It talks about all of these things. This life completely different to the death that we see at the start of the passage. So you look at the hope that David is instilling in his readers. He says, your people, not everyone will be considered an enemy of Jesus Christ on that day. Not everybody. These people are not going to face humiliation and fear when Jesus returns, but quite the opposite. They wear something that is gifted to them. Holy garments. David is showing us people who were once enemies of the Lord. They had no hope. They were facing down judgment on this, of this returning king on their own. But God has gifted them these holy garments. These holy garments are symbolic of something, of our human nature. We are dirty. We are covered in sin. Romans chapter 3 best describes us. If you want to turn there, you can do, but many of us know this passage. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. In fact, I'll read onwards from there. As it is written, this is Paul, the apostle, writing. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. See, it talks about death in this passage. Dead people can't do anything to revive their chances of salvation. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood in their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes you see the bible paints a damning picture of us as human beings so how do these people become God's people outside of God how do they become God's people how do they receive these holy garments where do they receive this hope from See, in verse four, David points that out to us. They find it in a promise and in a priest. They find it in a promise and in a priest. Verse four, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, just glazing over that verse, we, may gla we might glaze over it and not understanding the meaning of it, but it is the crux of the passage and it's where David puts the hope. Melchizedek was a king in the Old Testament. And we won't go too much into him, but he was a priest. 
but also a king. That didn't happen very often. He was a king and a priest. And a king executes judgment, which we know. And a priest is a go-between, a mediator, somebody who stands between God and man. See, David is using Melchizedek to point to someone greater, to point to a greater king, to point to a greater priest, someone who would come to judge humanity in a greater way than Melchizedek could judge his people, but also be a priest who could stand between God and man. See, Melchizedek, he was just a man and his kingship ended at his death and his priestly duties when he died were passed on to the next priest after him. You see, David is prophesying about one to come, Jesus, the son of God. He is the priest forever. He's not a priest for a day. He's not a priest for his lifetime. And then when he passed away, that was it. You see, David is pointing to Jesus, the son of God, as the priest who stands for us forever. Why is this such good news? Why is this the hope and the centre and the crux of the middle of David's passage? Because you and I, we need a go-between. We need someone to stand on our behalf because of our wretchedness and our, our unrighteousness and our sinful nature, which is described in Romans chapter 3. See, who is better to do the job than God himself, Jesus, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. See, we believe as Christians that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. He died in our place, the place that we deserved. He sacrificed himself for our unrighteousness, for our sin. The perfect one made sin for us. We can find salvation from the impending judgment and condemnation through him the forever high priest. That's the hope of the passage. That's the good news, that there is one who is a priest forever, a king forever, whose judgment is coming. But there's a priest who has stood on our behalf and is our go-between. Praise God that he is our forever high priest. See, Romans chapter three puts it beautifully, carried on from what we read before. See, again, Paul does the same as David. He doesn't leave us in hopelessness. He points us to the hope. Romans chapter three, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith, belief in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, by belief. See, he, Jesus, he's the one who gives these holy garments that this passage talks about. He's the one that David talks about who gives out these holy garments. He is the reason his people will offer themselves freely on that day of power. They're not gonna be full of humiliation. They're not gonna be scared of Jesus's return. They will freely give themselves upon that day because there will be no fear and they have experienced grace from Jesus Christ and they can present themselves before a holy God because of the garments that he has given them. And if that is you, that is something to celebrate. If you stand before King Jesus on that final day with the holy garments that he has offered you, 
then you will be safe. You will be preserved. You will be joyful on that day. If you don't have those holy garments on that final day, you will be condemned. But we don't have to stand at holy judgment on our own. We can hope in another and we can rest in another. There is one who will stand with us, stand for us on that day. Jesus, the great and sure high priest. Why is he sure? Because God, the Lord, uppercase, has sworn it and he will not change his mind. Look back at verse four. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. What greater person's word could we rely on than the God of creation? And if you're sat here today at all in doubt of your salvation, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's sworn it. You're his. He'll never leave you. He will never leave you. He'll never leave your side. You are his forever. He is sure the Lord God has sworn it. He will not change his mind. If you are his, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, then you are his. He is sure. He is steadfast in his role of high priest. He doesn't forget that it's the day of atonement. Maybe one of them did that, maybe, in the Jewish history. I don't know. I doubt it. But God doesn't forget of his role as the high priest. He's the forever provider of our righteousness and holy garments. The sure priest saves. The sure priest saves. And then finally, as we close, in application, how do we apply this? How do we put this psalm into practice? The end of the psalm shows us how we can apply this as those who are clothed in his holy garments by using the chiastic structure that David was using. See, everything revolves around verse four, the hope of the passage. So as we read the rest of the passage, we bear verse four in mind. The final point, the saved soul hopes. The saved soul hopes. Verses five to seven. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. See, on first reading, if you're anything like me, that's the most terrifying part of the passage. That's the scary bit. Probably comes across as the most terrifying verses in the passage where it says, shatter kings, day of his wrath, execute judgment filling them with corpses, shatters chiefs over the wide earth. But if we are those who are clothed in his holy garments and relying on the sure high priest, then when we read those verses in the light of verse four, then we should have a completely different reaction to those who read it without those holy garments, without the protection of the Lord. We read it differently. So what do we do in application? We live lives of hope. And we earnestly share the gospel. We live lives of hope and we earnestly share the gospel. So we live lives of hope as Christians that are clothed in holy garments. Those verses of verse five to seven are not for us. Jesus took that punishment for us. So what's the natural response? Joy and hope. That's the natural response. And I want to question all of us and me in particular when I was putting this together, examine yourself and think about your posture. Does your life reflect the salvation that God has given you? 
does your posture and your life and the way that you show yourself in your day-to-day walk, does it reflect that you are clothed in holy garments? Does it do that? Or have we forgotten or grown cold to the good news that it doesn't show? Have we grown cold to the good news? See, naturally, we will experience difficult days. We will experience uh, days that it feels like everything's against us. But the saved soul should always fall back on the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Remind yourself of that hope constantly. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself constantly. Reassure yourself in the sure promise of the Lord God that his son Jesus has saved you from judgment and condemnation and he has given you life. We should do that. We should live lives of hope and our posture should show what Christ has done for us day by day. It's difficult to do because life is hard. But even in difficulties, joy should show. Jesus should be seen in the way that we live our lives. We live lives of hope. And then secondly, to close, we earnestly share the gospel. The judge of all humanity is coming. And whilst those of us who are Christians are saved from that day, there are many who are not. There are those who will be humiliated on that day. There are those who will shrink in fear at Christ's coming. There are those who will experience the executing of his judgment firsthand. We have the ring of life. It sounds like a Tolkien reference, it's not. We have the life ring in our hands. It's ours to share. See, that life ring is the sure high priest, Jesus Christ. And it would be insane if we were stood watching someone drowning in Sefton Park, in Albert Dock. We were down there yesterday and the walls around the dock are these massive steeping walls. It would be crazy if we didn't throw that life ring that was on the side, if we didn't throw that into those people who were drowning there. See, if we know the grace and the mercy of the great high priest Jesus, then we need to share him with those who currently only know Jesus as the coming king of judgment. They need to know him as their great high priest and can I just challenge us all that we live lives of hope but in everything that we do in our walks with Jesus we seek to share the one that saved us we seek to share the one that saved us many of us are going back to work many of us are going back to uh, uh, schools or um, going back to uni or whatever it might be we've had breaks and there's that maybe uh, anxiety going back and I feel that as well I'm stood here feeling that as well about uh, Tuesday and we pray that God would fill us with um, with a hope and a joy that would overcome those moments and would help us to get through them but in those moments we should be seeking as we constantly pour the gospel over us every single day we should be seeking to share with the lost we should be seeking to share this high priest who has everything that these people need and I challenge you today to think about who those people are And seek opportunities and share it with one another in your gospel communities. Because if we share, we can share in the prayer of uh, for each of these people. And we can share in the joy of the moments where we see breakthroughs in the lives of people. So who is it that we can share him with? We live lives of hope and we earnestly share the gospel.
The impending judgment is coming. The sure priest saves. And the saved soul hopes. In closing, can I ask you, do you know him? Do you know the high priest who has given us salvation through, uh, through his death on the cross? Do you know him? Um, I encourage you to think about it today. If you don't, for those of us who do know him, can I encourage you to show it in the way that we live our lives, that we show the high priest, Jesus Christ, in our lives and that people will be drawn to him um, through the way that we live. I'm going to pray and then we're going we're gonna to sing before communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this passage that David wrote. Thank you for the series that we've, uh, we've read uh, through the Psalms. Thank you for the prophetic word that David writes down about the, the coming king, the coming high priest, Jesus Christ. And he has come and he lives and he's alive. And those of us who know you, we thank you for, by your Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to this saviour, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for the great sacrifice you made for us and rising again that you are alive. You are sat at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. And we thank you that we can put all of our trust in you and all of our hope and joy comes from you. And I just pray uh, that you'd help us to live lives that imitate Jesus, that imitate you, Jesus, and that we would serve you. For anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, we pray that we, they would look to the coming King and also look to the great high priest and they will call upon him in their lives. Father, we pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.